Hey everybody, this is Sarah Benincasa and welcome to Well, This Isn't Normal, a podcast about dealing with it, dealing with all of this, dealing with life in general, dealing with the neighbor's dog barking because uh, the neighbor doesn't take adequate care of their dog, so I might need to kick down the door. Anyway... That's the kind of mood I'm in right now. I wanted to let you know this is our season finale for season one. I am going to take a break. Not really, because I um, I am doing a lot of research for a podcast pilot, which I'm very excited about. And I'm doing it with a big old podcast company network situation. And that is quite delightful. So my plan is to take four weeks off approximately from releasing episodes. Um, It may extend to five. It just depends because between my full-time day job at a nonprofit, which I'm very grateful for, and my, you know, side hustles um, with uh, freelance writing. And then, of course, now having to really dig in and and do research under contract and, and write a script and um, do this production for this pilot. It's a history podcast, spoiler alert. I hope you get to hear it one day, but it's exciting to get to do it regardless. Anyway, point is this, I need to do a good job. I want to do a good job. And, um, so yeah, so we're going to call this the season finale for season one. And I should be back in four or five weeks. And I've already got some great interviews banked for season two and I'm excited. So how are you doing? How are you feeling? Feel free to email me, sarah at sarahbenincasa.com to let me know. If you have comments about this season, questions, concerns, and you have suggestions for next season, by all means, bring it on. I would love to hear from you. And of course, thank you to all the Patreon supporters. I pay our engineer, Jonathan, who's great, uh, who's down in Dallas, Texas, and who's also a musician, I just learned. Very exciting, Jonathan Villalobos, who hopefully one day I will get to buy dinner for in person when we are allowed. But anyway, so I pay him to edit these episodes. And, you know, sometimes we have to do some extra work and go in and do some surgery. So, of course, I obviously he's not going to work for free and pay him for that, too. And he's, I got to say, a great person to work with and very reasonable rates, which I appreciate. And I use Patreon money to pay for that. So patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. It's patreon.com slash S-A-R-A-B-E-N-I-N-C-A-S-A. I I think I spelled my name right. Patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. It's where you can do that. Now, I've been trying to do a monthly newsletter for, or weekly newsletter for months, but it's honestly been like twice, uh, twice a month on average, which I feel bad about, but just juggling all these different things, you know how it is. And people have been really understanding, which I appreciate. So just know that I hope that you'll continue to contribute during the hiatus between seasons because I'm, you know, still paying for things that I need to pay for in terms of production. And I'm, I'm feeling wild and thinking I'm going to get a real deal, awesome, like sexy microphone, which I'm very excited about. I don't know how sexy it is, but it'll be useful. Anyway, 
point is, you guys are freaking great. I appreciate you so much. You have made my life a lot better. And hopefully through these conversations, we have been of service to you and helping you feel better. At first, this was a daily podcast and we did that for, I don't even know, did we do that for two months? I can't remember. It was a week week daily podcast. Um, and, and then we switched to weekly, which was much easier on my wallet and also, uh, much, uh, just, you know, it just allowed for more time and space and, um, better product. Hopefully if I may call it that, if I may call this art form a product anyway, executive producer, Polly, the demon queen, and I are very grateful. That's my cat, of course, who I think I was just talking about potentially fostering when I started doing the show. The first episode was March 16th and I adopted her March 21st, I think. Anyway, here we are. We are, if, if we are using the appropriate episode count, which I should know offhand, but, uh, I don't right now. Ah, yes. Episode 48. If we are using the appropriate episode count, what I find intriguing is that sometimes Apple podcasts will eat certain episodes, which I, I have no idea why, But um, yeah, so if you ever look at it and you're like, wait a second, why are we missing certain episodes? That's something that I will have to figure out with Simplecast, which is the service that I use as well as Apple Podcasts. I mean, who knows? It's a mystery. But anyway, this is episode 48. You may be listening on Stitcher. You may be listening on Spotify. You may be listening on Apple Podcasts. You may be listening somewhere else that I don't know about. That's very exciting. Maybe you're listening on the Simplecast uh, landing page. I don't know. I'm grateful to you, though. So I interviewed my friend, Amanda Yates Garcia. She's so cool. She's a witch. She's a podcaster. Between the Worlds is a beautiful podcast. Very interesting. It's about tarot. But even if you think tarot is bullshit, you don't give a fuck. If you're into mythology, you may find it interesting. She really digs into archetypes and stories. I would argue that it also, to an extent, is a self-help adjacent podcast. They get into philosophy, religion, spirituality, ritual practice. I mean, she's just awesome. She is a delightful human being and I'm glad to know her. And um, I had planned to extend the season a bit longer, but since I got this podcast deal and I have a deadline, uh, this is going to be our season finale. And, And I think it's cool because Amanda is a wonderful, soothing, but also righteous, furious individual. Really, really cool person. Grew up working class, in Northern California. Grew up a bit rough sometimes, I would say. Dealt with some trauma and some difficulty in her life for sure. She's an out queer person, has been since she was a kid. And uh, she's an author. Her memoir, Initiated, is great. And I I hope you enjoy. And I'll talk to you once uh, our interview has concluded. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I am here via the internet with my dear friend, a wonderful woman, a witch, an author, a dancer, a writer. Well, author and writer are the same, but you've also been an essayist, right? Um, I've read some of your essays actually on art and like a million other things. Amanda Yates Garcia. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be with you whenever we get to be together. I know this is so fun. I feel really happy that I get to be a client of yours. I get to be a friend of yours. I get to be a um, a, a bookstore 
experience co-host of yours on your your recent book tour. I think it was the last night of your book tour for your memoir, Initiated, right? I think it might have been. Definitely the last night here in L.A. Well, where did you travel for your book tour? Because this was, your book tour was before the pandemic. Mm. And and, um, you got to go talk to witches all over the place. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't really that big. I went to New York. I went to, ooh, a big state in the Midwest, uh, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. I went to Florida. I went to um, a lot of places in California. But I, I actually was planning on doing another tour, a bigger one, this fall. And then that kind of fell through. Like I was going to go up to the Pacific Northwest and go through Denver and then go in the Southwest um, and maybe do some of the the East Coast. But then I just stopped organizing it because of COVID and and all the bookstores were were closing down. So I don't know what's going to happen now. I mean, it's it's understandable. And I think also that your memoir is one that can have a long tail in terms of sales because it's not tied to a specific event. It's, it's the story of your life as a baby witch and as a grown witch. And also you deal so beautifully with trauma, with healing, with recovery, not in the, the drug and alcohol sense, but recovery as, as, um, past, well, this isn't normal guest, Rabbi Iggy of the Teshuva Center in New York, which is a, a recovery center, says recovery can be for everyone. So it's it's it can be another word for healing. And so you deal with that really beautifully. We get to travel around the world with you. So this is not a book that's a flash in the pan kind of thing. And I my guess would be that many occult bookshops and sort of more conventional bookshops, if you're listening out there, this is a great idea. Have Amanda Yates Garcia for an event once you're allowed. Please do, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't really say it's an occult book. It's more of a straightforward memoir that deals with magical themes and subjects. But I would say that it's it's mostly about um, feeling, worrying that I wouldn't be able to live the life that I wanted to live or feeling like constantly exiled from the life that I wanted to live because of you know, the way that I grew up or my early, yeah, traumatic experiences, and then finding and creating a life for myself that I, that I loved, that was magical, that was enchanted. And, and I guess, you know, the, the arc is basically of me feeling like I was going to always have to be at the mercy of a world that I didn't create and then figuring out how to escape that underworld and emerge into a place where I felt at home in a ma- or in a more magical world that I had to create for myself, basically. And so it's a document. That's why I think it has crossover appeal and doesn't just belong in an occult bookshop, although those are fun. But there's Very a reason fun. that it's 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 also carried in more conventional, uh, which is not not a diss, by the way, indie booksellers. If you're listening, me calling your bookshop more conventional is not a diss. I just mean not not specialized. Let's say more diversified content. Like that's why I think that you know you can do events like you did 
an event at Skylight Books, which is fantastic. You did an event at Stories Books, and in which are both of which are bookshops that sell lots of different things because you're not confined to just the magic shelf or the new age shelf or the witchcraft shelf or the occult shelf or whatever they want to call it. This is a book that deals with themes that are really relatable to anybody who has ever felt strange or left out for whatever reason. If, if you know, I think sometimes we all feel like, what was that show? The Was it the Munsters where they had Marilyn, who was their very like blonde sort of basic <laughs> cousin who felt super, I don't remember if it was the Munsters or the Adams Family. It was the Munsters, I think, where she felt super left out because she was the one quote unquote normal person among these joyful freaks. And this is a podcast for joyful freaks, but it's it's really for anybody who's ever felt left out because part of what I like to do on the podcast is um, interrogate the concept of normal because it's different. Every single person who's been on the podcast has a different life experience and experiences the world in a different way. Mm. And your book, I think, which I, I loved, it's wonderful on audiobook as well, um, really gets into that. And I wonder if um, if you feel now, like to what extent, Amanda, between uh, your podcast, Between the Worlds, which I love, highly recommend, um, the teaching that you do online and um, in, in real life and all these different things. Do you feel like you have a cohesive community now where you feel like you belong? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I absolutely feel that way. I mean, you're part of this community, Sarah. I mean, I think... Um, I mean, I mean, I know I'm going to, I'm just going to, going to flex on the listeners. I truly am. Because <laughs> <You truly laughs> I love her. <laughs> you truly are. I mean, I, I think what we're talking about is this idea that, you know, a lot of us come up in this world that we resist, like the patriarchal world or the white supremacist world or, you know, the capitalist world. And that wasn't created by or for us. And yet, it defines how we live our lives. And simultaneously underneath that is a kind of mossy mushroom world of people who are kind of growing up, uh, creating new communities, rhizomatic communities uh, of, you know, of the arts, of poetry, magic, recovery of healing, of all of these things that stand outside, I think, of, of uh, the curiarchical dominion. However, they are sometimes influenced by them. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to say that we're not affected, but yeah. So I do feel like uh, I have a community, and I'm working on creating that community in collaboration with other people, such as yourself. Oh, well, it is. It's such a joy. I mean, I had heard about you for years through the work of one of my favorite authors, Francesca Leah Block, um, and um, through just different articles, I think, or you know, it's very memorable. The Oracle of Los Angeles is your title. And that is a very um, memorable name. So I'd heard about you. And then Finally, a friend of mine encouraged me. I might have even subscribed to your newsletter or followed you online because I had read your writing. I know that. And um, a friend of mine encouraged me to go see you. And I'm so glad that I did. And then we you know, formed a friendship out of that. And 
you have such an you you have such an interesting world of collaborators like the author Jade Chang who's so great and the artist and and vocalist a Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs who produces Between the Worlds and um do you find it easier these days than you did as say a teenager um growing up more in northern and california and like the central coast i think right yeah i grew up mainly in san luis obispo and santa barbara do you feel today that you are more able to be vulnerable than you were as a younger person or has your challenge been i mean it's not a binary but like for me, my challenge has been to set more boundaries, right? And be like a little less vulnerable, to give a little less, to hold back a little more. But for some people, the challenge is to open up more. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that at all. Like if if now at the age of 24, um, you <laughs> if 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 now <laughs> if if now like, if you feel like it's easier for you, I don't know, it's kind of a blah, all over the place question. No, I get it. I totally get it. I think it's a fantastic question. I love oh, this thank question. You. Thank you. I mean, I think the irony of it is very much like yourself. When I was younger, when I was in my teens and 20s, I put myself in vulnerable positions a lot with people that um, were not necessarily healthy for me. And so in that way, we might say, oh, yes, I was very vulnerable, but I wasn't. I, I was very defensive and defended. And um, I, I, I was open to kind of wounding, which I guess is one way of thinking about vulnerability. But in fact, now I'm much more... I mean, I, do, I don't put myself in situations where I'll be wounded by people. I mean, it still happens, but I'm able to navigate it a lot easier. And so, ironically, I am able to be more vulnerable because I am more grounded now and because I have clear boundaries, like you said. So I think basically what I'm saying is that having really clear and healthy boundaries, in fact, helps you be more vulnerable because you're not going to be vulnerable. You're not going to allow yourself to be truly vulnerable with people who are not worthy or capable of treating you with kindness and uh, relationality. So when you have really healthy boundaries, you, you only let people in you only let people close to you who are worthy of that trust and respect. And so you can be really vulnerable with them. But when you're not able to set those boundaries, then you don't know who's going to hurt you. And you don't know um, you don't know what appropriate behavior is. So, so you don't really let anybody in, truly. At least I feel like that's kind of what, what my story was. What about you? I think that allowing myself to be more vulnerable in in terms of receiving or and and also in terms of expecting to receive. I realized that 
sometimes what I will do in conversations, and it's appropriate in the context of an interview, but where, where I am the interviewer, but um, what I will sometimes do in conversations with people instinctively is only ask them about themselves and occasionally go on, go on about myself and then return to asking them a lot of questions. And um, so as a result, I, I used to do, it used to be less of a give and take than it is now. So I would end up attracting a lot of friends who really loved the attention, but it's hard to know if they would have been there for me if I had given them the chance because I never gave them the chance. So I would do all the work, all the emotional labor without ever giving them a chance to show me if they could show up for me. And then if they didn't show up for me, which they inevitably wouldn't, um, I would just back away and that was because I felt I felt safer giving and making them the center of things. Again, I have to emphasize, even they never asked me to. But of course, when you have that kind of personality where you want to make people happy and that makes you feel good about yourself, some might call it codependency. Um, <laughs> when it's done to an unhealthy extent, you do tend to end up enmeshed in relationships, friendship, business, uh, romance, etc., with people who are very, very glad to just take, take, take. And it's not that I was a deeply generous person, although I am a generous person. You're a very generous person. Thank you. But this was coming from a place of, if I give you everything and make myself indispensable, you can't leave me. Hmm. So it was actually coming from a, um, a very sad, scared place. Now what I find myself doing more and sobriety work helps me. Working with you absolutely helps me. Tarot helps me. Uh, therapy helps me. All these things help me. What I do more is if I, I'll pause, I try to insert that sacred pause more often between desire and action. And I'll go, do they really need that? Like I, I have to go to a meeting and um, a socially distant meeting, but a meeting nonetheless. So I thought, my first thought was, oh, I'll bring donuts and cookies. And then I thought, Sarah, do you need to take time out of your day to do that? No, <laughs> you really don't just go, just go to the meeting, do the business and then leave and, and go hang out with your friend who said they would bring pizza. Like that to me is very wild. That's, I'm not used to, that's a, a new muscle. So isn't it nice to know that we can continue to grow even when it feels like baby steps? Oh my gosh. So much richness in that whole comment. I just don't even know where to begin, but yes, I, I, I'm in my 40s, and I feel like I'm just getting started. I mean, things are getting so much more interesting and so new, so much more nuanced as I get older, and I'm so much more capable of relating to other people in a way that's, I mean, truly much more interesting, I think. And what you're talking about, that, um, that over-listening, over-showing up, you know, over-bringing donuts. Um, yep, yep. That, like, that is kind I I heard, I saw a post on Instagram the other day about, like, the fourth trauma response, and it's called fawning. And I mm. did that a lot, too, and still do that a lot. Um, but I'm learning to draw boundaries around that, which is, like, a, a showering people with uh, love and affection and support and gifts and attention. And that would be called fawning. And that's a, that's a trauma response, right? But it, it functions exactly as you said, which is that 
it creates a barrier between you and the, the person that you're directing all that attention to because it's like the the energy is only running that one way and then both people kind of get de- dependent on on that dynamic but also one of the things that we don't allow ourselves to do when we fawn is exactly what you said which is that that stop and take that that, that pause that moment where we take a break and and we let the other person show up because that was a lot of thing that was something that i found it really hard to do was to leave empty space to let other people have time to say something or to ask me a question or to um show up and give back like i i wanted to fill up all that time i i for a variety of reasons you know, I felt like I had to be so charming and so talkative and so make everybody so comfortable. But I don't think that I actually was that successful all the time. You know, I don't know if it really does make people comfortable. But yeah, I mean, what do you think about that? Like, as far as that pause is concerned, that letting people have time to come to you? It's a challenge because the the challenge is to over-communicate. If I show up more, literally or, or metaphorically, they will love me. <laughs> if, I, if I'm if i just shattering, if I don't allow there to be silence as we go on this walk, um, if, if I don't allow there to be spaces between us texting, all of that is, it's an effort to control the other person's experience for me in my, this is why I I do that stuff. It's an, it's an effort to um, protect myself against hurt by just filling up the quiet spot where hurt or vulnerability might be able to come through. Yeah. I mean, exactly, exactly. But I think that, you know, as above, so below, as they say in, in witchcraft, you know, a lot of us have, problems doing that in our personal relationships we Mm. we're always pedaling right we're always kind of scratching at that hamster wheel in our relationships but we're also doing that in the larger world in our culture where we just never rest and we're always just going 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 and we never give ourselves time culturally or sociologically or technologically to to rest to see what happens to be quiet and I do think really interesting things come from those those rest spaces oftentimes people surprise me about who they are in those spaces like when you slow down and see what someone else has to offer and then it turns out they say something that surprises you or they do something that surprises you or they show up in a way that surprises you which is really beautiful yeah, it's really, it's exciting when you allow that to happen and actually welcome it in. Um, I've, you know, you are one of the first white people I ever met who talked about white supremacist, capitalist, heteronormative patriarchy. Um, and who I don't think I'm quoting you exactly, but I think you also will quote how Bell Hooks describes it too, if, I, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, yeah. She, she says white supremacist capitalist 
heteronormative patriarchy, but sh- but she might add in also ableist sometimes. I mean, she coined that term a long time ago, so I'm sure she's added some more in there since then. But I also use the word, and I'm forgetting the name of this, I think it was an Italian feminist who came up with the term curiarchy or like a theologian who came up with the term curiarchy, which basically means um, the sort of master-slave dynamic or the um, the top-dog-underdog dynamic or the oppressor-oppressed dynamic, which in, which is implied by all of those, you know, ableism, cis-heteronormative, patriarchy, white supremacy, this, this intersecting fields of domination. And I looked I looked it up. The the listeners will hear typing and that's okay. It was yes, it was uh coined by Elizabeth Schuschler Fiorenza in 1992 to describe her theory of interconnected, interacting, and self-extending systems of domination and submission, in which a single individual might be oppressed in some relationships and privileged in others. Uh, and so that I would assume, I'm I'm guessing, probably comes out of um what Kimberly Crenshaw coined as intersectionality, intersectional feminism, that all these different struggles are are intersecting. And so, for example, to make it personal, which always seems to be a good idea, when I was listening to the audiobook for um, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, Italian-American, um, she I appreciated that book because she practiced something that was powerful as an educator, she kept bringing it back to herself, not in a selfish way. She just was was saying, as a white person, when I walk into a store in the middle of the night, I can expect X, Y, Z. And, you know, the way that she just gives these examples is very helpful. So I would say, so as somebody who grew up enmeshed in the curiarchy, a social system or set of connecting social systems built around domination, oppression, and submission, not in a fun way, because um, it can be a fun way in a social system. But you know what? We're talking in academic social systems, not like a party. So, OK. So as somebody who grew up marinated in the curiarchy and who inevitably perpetrates some curiarchy myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in it. I'm of it. I've benefited from it. And there have been times when it's been not great for me. Um, I am someone with mental illness. So that's something for which I would be oppressed, but I'm someone with with white skin, white and white presenting who participates in whiteness. That is very much a privilege. I am a, a woman. Um, I identify as a woman. So in some ways, yes, that is definitely something for which I am oppressed. But I also was raised in a middle class family that later you know, jumped up um, in terms of socioeconomic income when I was an adult. So that's a privilege. So all these different things intersect. And and some people, for some people, not that it's not a contest, but for some people, the balance is way off. It's not like, there's my privilege. There's my oppression. There's my, you know, the oppression column is stacked a lot higher for some people in our country and, and in our world. And this is something you've been talking about for a long time. And that the country, the conversation nationally is very focused on now talking about Black Lives Matter and other uprisings and and revolutions happening in the streets and online and elsewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, 
I just actually recently watched Kimberly Crenshaw's TED Talk. Have you seen that? No, I have to watch it. Oh, I didn't even know she did a TED Talk. Yeah, it's really great. And it actually clarified some things for me about what she meant by intersectionality and how it's kind of different from um, Fiorenza's curiarchy. Basically, from what I'm understanding from Kimberly Crenshaw, what she's basically meaning when she's saying intersectionality is that certain people occupy the, the places where all these different forms of oppression come together. Mm-hmm. And it, that is kind of what you're saying, but I think that, um, but for me, there was just like a nuance and understanding that I didn't really understand before that basically she was saying that, you know, black women, for instance, are at the intersection of, and she literally put an intersection, like a road kind of map on the, on the wall of racism and sexism and so they are like doubly uh, affected by mm. those forces and um, then if you add a, a, a say an out queer or a closeted queer black queer black woman that's another right like, and who layer a person with disabilities as well Right. Mm-hmm. So there's another layer that they might be experiencing or if they grew up um, experiencing poverty, for instance, then, you know, there's all these different layers. But I think that people often use the term intersectional to, to, to mean like we are intersectional. We talk about all these different things like we are mm. intersectional feminists. So we notice people who are you know, ex- experiencing white supremacy and we talk about it. But I, I think that that's kind of a misuse of the term from what I'm understanding that she's saying she's she's talking about a very specific like person. And I don't know if I, for instance, as a white woman, really get to use that word in the way that I had thought that it meant is basically what I'm saying. I'm listening to um, and Bell Hooks doesn't narrate it, but her 1981 classic Ain't I a Woman, mm-hmm. um, using the Sojourner Truth quote as the title. And um, she talks about, you know, and, and in the, the introduction to the newer edition, she says, you know, this has flaws and there are things you know, she basically is like, but I'm very proud of it. And it's, I don't know if she says that exactly, but she basically is like, I think she would change some things. Like, I think like any of us, um, her philosophy in certain ways has evolved, but she's very much focusing on the ways in which black women have been oppressed by sexism as well as racism. And so that's really interesting. And um, what what you just said, and it definitely makes me want to go check out that TED Talk so I can clarify the ways in which I use use that term once I understand it. I think that's it's it's this is a time that feels like a great flowering of learning and expression where we see a lot of people expressing themselves through art, all different kinds of art, um, including writing, uh, including writing that maybe we wouldn't necessarily call artistic, like journalism. But there are people who are out there documenting what's happening, expressing themselves, and also speaking up about their experiences and having a larger platform than they would have otherwise. So for the first time, there are conversations that are happening nationally repeatedly where I see black women's voices being centered. Now, that doesn't mean 
that that's not going to change because I think white supremacy always wishes to revert back to itself. Maybe that's, I mean, do you think that's specific to white supremacy or is it specific to perhaps throughout time, the status quo in a civilization? I mean, I do think that that's hierarchy, right? Like that's Mm. that, um, you know, oppressor-oppressed dynamic. And of course, the oppressor always seeks to return uh, to, to the status quo. I mean, but I also think that there's a simultaneity about all this stuff. Like there's, we always have lived under capitalism for the past, you know, like, I don't know, 500 years, let's say. But simultaneously, there have been pockets of collectivity or socialism or anarchism, you know, in the way that we operate in smaller groups. So while there are, you know, while... For instance, the oppressor, you know, white supremacy is going to and is currently trying to reassert itself. There is a growing, like I said, like under, uh, you know, rhizomatic undergrowth that's rising, rising, rising. And there's more and more and more of it, I think. So it would make it much more difficult, I think. But for for white supremacy to come back in the way that it was before, although it is trying really, really hard. But, I mean, I don't know. I I think that the thing is we're at a really crucial moment where it could really go either way. Like, we could slip back into an extremely retrogressive and fascist um, dominant paradigm, or we could emerge into something new and visionary and beautiful, you know, with the, with, uh, like black people of color, women as, as leaders, like leading the way in this, um, new paradigm that we haven't seen, at least in, um, you know, modernity. So that means that everybody needs to participate. There's no sitting on the sidelines because it's that, it's that urgent. Like everybody needs to be deciding which way they want it to go and then actively working for that to happen. Otherwise, that gravitational pull of white supremacists is ableist, capitalist, patriarchy will just pull us right back in. I know that we have to go, but I really love the way that you infuse all of your work whether you're teaching about tarot, you're doing energy healing, energy work, um, you're giving lectures, you're giving interviews, you're writing, you know, your book initiated, available everywhere now. <laughs> um, but I love the way that you, your philosophy um, of, uh, you know, your philosophy of, of breaking down the hierarchy and um, increasing access and equality and generally speaking, love for all, um, does, uh, does, and, and, um, but not just like love for all, also a warrior spirit fighting against what's wrong. I love how that permeates all that you do. And um, could you tell, and I feel like the listeners will experience that when they go to your social media or they'll listen to your podcast. So can you real quick tell us where, where we can learn more about you on the internet? 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so you can find me at oracleoflosangeles.com. You can listen to my podcast, it's Between the Worlds. It's available wherever podcasts are downloadable. Um, mm-hmm. My book is initiated, and you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Oracle of LA. But I do have to say, I really want to conclude by saying, you know, Sarah, you really inspire me too. You inspire me all the time because you're always speaking out against injustice and in all its various forms. And you do it relentlessly and passionately. And uh, it's, it is a real inspiration to me. And, you know, it's, it's really important to me to have a community of people who, um, who inspire me and, and who I believe in in that way. And, and you do that. So I'm really, I'm really grateful. We're all, we're all holding each other to a high standard and, and calling each other in. So I appreciate that about you and, and what you're doing for the world, calling, calling all of us in. Thank you so much. That means so much to me coming from uh, my friend who I love and who I admire so much. And and I think it helps that we happen to have a cohort of close and distant pals, some we haven't even met yet, who are willing to feel uncomfortable, who are willing to be like, oh, you're right. That's not cool that I said that. Ooh, let me look at that. I apologize. Or who are willing to change, who are willing, who people who get the, the birth hurts mm. and that, but hopefully beautiful things come out of it, even if we don't actually uh, ta- make humans inside of ourselves or adopt them. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, the birth of a new you can hurt as well, but it can also be really, really wonderful. Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning is that vulnerability piece that, you know, that as we become more grounded, we are more capable of not being defensive and listening and to understanding that other people have a different experience. And that makes like that work is essential work if we're going to end the brutal, ugly, fascist regime of white supremacy that we have to be willing to feel uncomfortable and not um, not have a nervous breakdown <laughs> about it. Yeah, you got to feel that discomfort in, in your tummy and be like, oh, fuck. And even sometimes I would say, too, if if you find yourself being defensive and you push back at first, it's, o- it's okay to then take a deep breath and come back later and say, I'm sorry, that wasn't cool. That's that's like, sometimes I think people think that if they react poorly at first, they're not allowed to go, fuck, man, I understand why I did that. I'm sorry. Now, it doesn't mean that, that the person you you hurt will receive that, um, but you're allowed to to grow and change and get better. And I, I just see, I see you really involved in that work and working on it yourself and also being such a leader, so... I just think you're rad. Thank you for you're rad. Oh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a very great pleasure. And that was my interview with Amanda Yates Garcia. She's so wonderful. I love her, and I'm very glad that she's my friend. I'm glad that I get to work with her. And I'm so glad that I get to wrap up season one with an interview with her. And that's season one. We did it. 48 episodes. (sighs) 
look, season two is not going to be 48 episodes. I'll tell you that much. I have to go do research and um, I will still be working full time and all of those other things. Hopefully, I mean, knock on wood, very grateful to have that work. I'm very grateful to have you. I'm very grateful for the Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa, executive producer, Polly, the Demon Queen, Polly St. Catherine Benincasa, the Demon Queen, aka my cat, and I are very grateful to you. Thank you for everything. One more thing before I go, probably a few more things. Please rate us high. Give us a nice review. It really does make a difference. It really does help get eyeballs on the podcast. It really does make me feel great personally. (laughs) So if you just feel like making somebody's day, write a nice review of this podcast. I will be absolutely delighted by that and honored by your kindness. I appreciate it. It also helps me see how, to what extent it's positively affecting people who might not email me at sarah at sarahbenincasa.com or who might not join the Patreon community and send me a private message or who might not tweet at me at Sarah J. Benincasa or Instagram message me, I guess, at Sarah J. Benincasa at, well, this isn't normal, whatever. I'm here in my weird little abode that I love that I've been tidying up uh, and, and like having to fight Polly to make my bed, you know, emotionally fight, not physically. Don't physically fight your pets. No, thank you. But she really turns out really into making the bed herself and then owning the bed. This is not something I knew about cats before, but now I know it. You're great. Please take care of yourself. I hope that you are doing that anyway. But if not, here's a reminder. Let's take a deep breath together. Let's take a deep breath in and let's squinch our, is squinch a word? I don't know. Let's scrunch our shoulders up to our ears and squeeze our fists if we can and even tighten up our face so that we look really weird so maybe don't do this around people unless you're carefree in which case do that and inhale squeeze it all tight and now relax everything Ah, move your neck around be really gentle with yourself as you do this And only do it within your ability, within the extent that it's safe for you. Ooh, move those shoulders a little bit if you can. (sighs) I just relaxed the hell out of myself. Also, I'm drinking some tea that my best friend Catherine sent me, which is supposed to make you sleepy. So, also, I'm recording this at 1.33 a.m. Anyway. I like you. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're going to get through this, whatever this is, this means to you. You're going to get through it. Rest when you can. Remember that you are precious. Remember that setting boundaries is a good thing. If you need a great book to read during the hiatus, hiatus, during the hiatus of the show, I suggest Full Catastrophe Living by 
Jon Kabat-Zinn. It's really wonderful. You may also benefit from a, a more intense book, The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. You can also check out Therapy for Black Girls, which is a podcast, and, and they have a lot of resources on Instagram and Twitter as well. You can check out The Nap Ministry. You can check out The Trevor Project. Check out Rain. There are a lot of organizations, authors, entities, individuals, artists out there doing their best to do good work and to be of service. And I have tried to do the same. So I hope that this show has been of service to you. And I hope that it continues to be in even bigger and better ways in the future. Thank you so much for being here with me for season one of Well, This Isn't Normal. I love you. Take good care. <laughs>